big dairy farms. Like, really big. Bigger than we have here in western Washington. Are they a bad thing? It's certainly been an issue that's drawn some controversy in recent years. And we tackle the issue this morning. This is actually a sneak preview uh, this morning of my podcast, Real Food, Real People, the name of the podcast. Welcome back. This is The Farming Show, by the way, here on KGMI News Talk 790. I'm Dylan Honkoop, and I've talked about it here on the program before. I uh, launched, I guess it was in uh, December, uh, when we launched Real Food, Real People podcast. It's something that's sponsored and, and supported by my employer, Save Family Farming, as well as the Dairy Farmers of Washington. Um, and real food, real people, the whole idea is to start reconnecting our food system, reconnecting people who don't have any contact with real farmers and real farming um, with the people that produce their food, the, the farmers and other people in, in the food system as well. Recently had a butcher on, we've had chefs on, things like that. Uh, but most of the conversations are with real farmers and and getting to know yeah, the details about their their operation, how they do what they do, some specifics, but also just find out who they are and like what makes them tick. Uh, are they real people under there? You know, there's there's a lot of misconception about um, production agriculture, uh, farming in this country these days, where it's assumed that most f- food is produced by big, you know, scary corporations and. At least speaking for here in Washington State, that's just not the truth. It's family farms, small, medium, and large. And so uh, with the podcast, we like to tackle some of these sticky issues at times because people want to know. I want to know what, what are the answers. I have some good ideas about it. But particularly people say in town, if you, if you aren't really connected directly with a farm, you kind of want to, want to know how, what goes on with this. So this week, I'm, I'm in here this Saturday morning here, I'm going to share with you a sneak preview of the podcast episode that drops Monday. That's when the, the full episode is actually released. We're going to share a couple of parts of it with you this morning. Uh, I just actually got back last night from eastern Washington. I went to a little tiny town called Mesa. Um, it's uh, kind of south, what is it, southeast of like um, Othello, Connell, if you know where that is. It's even smaller than that. I went to Cooley Flats Dairy and talked with its owner and founder, uh, Case Vandermeulen. Fascinating story. He grew up in the Netherlands and came here to the United States in his 20s and started himself with a very small dairy. Now the dairy that he operates, Cooley Flats, is a very large dairy. So in the episode, I'm not going to be able to share this part of it with you today, but we get into the details about specifically step-by-step how his operation works to try to get past the the mystery of all these, you know, really big dairies are, are, you know, 
do scary things go on there? What's the actual process? And it's really pretty straightforward once you start to understand how it works and how they care for the cows and how they produce milk and how they manage their land. Uh, we talk about some of these big dairy issues in this piece that I'm going to share with you. Again, this is a, a sneak preview of the upcoming episode that will be released Monday morning. Real Food, Real People podcast is what it's called. It's available on all podcast platforms that you can find out there. Um, so without further ado, we'll uh, jump into this little sneak preview uh, piece from this uh, coming week's episode. How different is this whole process than when you grew up in Europe? Um, the basics are the same, but it's just the scale is so significantly different. Mm. You know, at uh, my family farm... They we were milking about a hundred cows, and those cows would go in the pasture in the summertime. In the wintertime, they would you know be in the part in the barn, so to speak. And we did all the work ourselves. Here, with milking several thousand cows, uh, you know we have to have a lot of a lot of employees help us. Otherwise, we couldn't get it done. How many employees do you have to uh, make about, it work? About eighty-five altogether, full-time oh, employees. Wow. And yes. how many cows do you have? We're milking about 7,000 cows. Wow. And then then we those are the milk cows, and then we have another 800 to 1,000, what we call the dry cows, the cows mm -hmm. that are on vacation, so to speak, and then all the replacement heifers, which is you know a good uh, 12,000 or so. So you've lived the small dairy life and now the large dairy life. What's Correct. Why, why so big? You know, some people say, oh, you know, it's better if a farm is small. What, what are the differences in, you know, having experienced both? Um, actually, there is nothing wrong with big, one, big, big dairy farms. You know, yeah, it maybe seem, doesn't, seems not attractive for, for some people, I guess. But um, actually, when you are bigger, you can specialize more to jobs. So, you know, we have guys that just, they do nothing but milk mm -hmm. for eight hours a day. And then we have guys that only feed calves. And then we have guys that that only feed the feed the, the cows. So they it's very specialized jobs. So therefore, you can really train them, train the guys well. And they can uh, do a really, really good job instead of if you had to have um, let's say milk 200 cows and you have to have two or three employees, those three employees needed to do everything and you need to train them on everything. So that makes it a lot more difficult. Plus, when you are, that, 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 does, that doesn't only count for the employees, but that counts for all systems. So you can really, really fine tune things much better and therefore be very, very efficient from a resource perspective. Because, you know, we use a lot of resources, water, feed, uh, um, you know, land, of course, to grow crops, uh, fertilizer. Well, no, not actually fertilizer, but, you know, the, the manure we use as fertilizer mm -hmm. because, you know, we utilize everything. We don't waste nothing. When you were growing up in Europe, what was that like? What was that? I mean, it's a totally, totally different culture, right? It's and a very different culture, yes. In Holland, there's thousands and thousands of of 
of of, of smaller dairy farms, and uh, yeah, it's not quite for sure how to explain it, but yeah, it's just it's just a different di- a different way of life. However, that is changing rapidly. Also, uh, the farmers the farms in in Holland and Europe are getting much bigger. Also, mm. and <clears throat> you know for whatever reason. Uh, you know, our expenses keep going up and up and mm-hmm. up, just like everybody experiences around the world, right? Food gets, you yeah. know, the, the, but the price that we get for the milk and the beef doesn't seem to change all that much. Not comp- not even close to comparative f- uh, from from 15, 20 years ago. Mm. So it's we just need to be more efficient in order. St- in order to stay uh, stay value or uh, to stay uh, relevant, what are the reasons that farms are getting bigger? And, and is that the same in Europe as here? Absolutely, I don't know really what the reason is, but in order to you know, well, to to increase efficiency, it's that that's what it comes down to. I mean, that's what our lives as humans today are about, right? We need to do more more things in less time and you know technology helps a lot with that and uh, you know if talking about technology we have we use quite a bit of quite a bit of technology on on dairy farms today in order to uh, to uh, do a better more precise job like um, what we use for the last couple couple of two and a half years now we actually use uh, um, uh, all the cows wear a uh, basically a Fitbit mm. around their neck and every cow's being monitored and how active she is every day. It counts steps. Well, it doesn't really count steps, but yeah. it counts activity. Yeah. And if a cow doesn't, you know, gets becomes less active, the system will alert us and try and tell us, hey, there may be something wrong with this cow. Or if she becomes really active, uh, that usually means she's in heat and she's ready to be bred, and then the system will alert us also and tell us, hey, this cow was possibly in heat. You better go check her. And if she is, then we can breed her at the time. Technology. Technology. And the beauty of technology is it works 24 hours a day mm. to where, you know, if you have people watching cows, they don't work to work for 24 hours a day, right? Mm-hmm. So, and it's just becoming harder and harder to get good dedicated people Hmm. so it's a challenge sometimes yeah what's the key to to leading the team like you do here on the farm having that many employees and making sure that people are on the same page and happy with where they're at you talked about that being kind of one of the values of the system that you're building is to be good for the employees absolutely you know uh it's not you know it's the same for all of us if we don't like our job we don't like the, the culture or whatever it's not no fun doing. Uh, it's not fun coming to work, and when it's not fun coming to work, you're not going to do your best. It's as simple as that. So you know we have all different teams, so to speak. Uh, you know we have a, a milking team, we have a calf team, we have a, a a herds people team. So the herds people are people, the guys who take care of the cows. You know as far as uh, uh, when there's you know, the cows need to be moved from one pen to the other. They need to be bred. They need to be uh, taken care of, just basically general husbandry, animal husbandry. 
then we have a feeding team we have a team in the in the uh, in the, the mechanic shop that takes care of all the maintains and repairs all the equipment and and then we have a you know a, a, a equipment team that you know maintains the pins helps with harvest uh, all the different things so and each team has a leader obviously and then we have a office team and then we have also a, a basically a general manager who you know uh ricardo he's uh he's the operation manager and he you know tries to be keep keep the teams coherent mm-hmm. and working together it's it's a challenge but well, when you have that many people, it's always going to be. That's right. right? There's, there's a lot of training going involved, a lot of training involved, meetings, uh, and all this stuff. So, <laughs> and then you know, before bef- bef- before February, uh, we always have uh, once a, once a month we'd we'd have a have a caterer come in and and provide lunch for the whole team and just kind of get together and hang out for an hour and then just trying to. Keep every everybody together on the same team. You said you started the first dairy that was yours was in Grandview. Correct. What what was that like, and and how did that grow, and and how did you end up here in what, Mesa? Well, I started with in Grandview, 150 cows, doing all the work myself. Uh, those were long days, long mm-hmm. hard days. Uh, did that for about a year, year and a half, and then I grew a little bit. And I got a got one one employee to help help me milk the cows, and then a couple of years later, a couple of years after that, then we moved to a bigger, a little bit bigger facility. So we went from uh, to about four hundred cows, mm. and then a few years later, we bought another facility, and then in two thousand and seven, um, we started building this facility and uh, start milking cows in 2008 and it's been been quite a journey yeah it's kind of fun yeah you know lots of challenges but those are there to be overcome what was the hardest challenge to overcome to to get to where you are now well it's just like everybody else probably but you know the hardest challenges when there's economic when when the economy you know has a downturn and expenses are greater than than income that's always a challenge right so then you got to get creative and try to cut costs and try to do the best you can and well yeah you you, you get through it yeah things are sometimes they're really good and sometimes they're not so good but that <laughs> just happens and you just got to keep going is that the way it was growing up too i, I believe so yeah yeah i know my my parents and my brother they had some hard times financially but giving up is just not part of the game right got to keep going yeah what what keeps you going through those hard times i know people point to different things that kind of just gives them hope you know to see the light at the end of the tunnel yeah it's hard 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 question to answer but i guess the fear of failure is probably uh one of the biggest ones uh and you know yeah that's about the best i can the way i can explain yeah. it i think so you said that you were interested in continuing farming, but you couldn't continue with the family farm Correct. in the Netherlands. Correct. Why? How did that work out? What What was the well? There? Because because it takes you know at that time seventy five cows or so seventy five to hundred cows for per family, or it takes about that amount of cows to 
to uh, to maintain from income from uh, for for one family. Well, and they were milking I don't know 120, 130 cows, and um, then they got a quota system, and everybody had to reduce twenty some percent. Mm. So then that basically was only room for one, and that you know, and since I you know my, my brother was was the was in the partnership with my my dad. And the idea was that I was supposed to take over my dad's half, but then when the the quota system came in, then that kind of my dad my dad actually stepped out of the business at that point in time, mm-hmm. and my brother took it over. And is he still did, doing it? My brother does. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. He's looking, still about a hundred cows. Do you guys swap stories back and forth oh, to kind of yeah. compare? Yeah, the different we. Roles? Yeah, absolutely. And you know, he's been here a few times, and uh, yeah, he he likes it. And, uh, you know, he's got his son involved now and he's, you know, he's hopefully going to take over his, his business or his dairy. Yeah. And then we'll see where that goes. What did your dad think of all of it? My dad thought it was, uh, well, obviously, um, he was pretty sad that, uh, you know, there wasn't room for, for both of us on the farm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we could work together, but Yeah. Uh, yeah, I guess I had never, I never really, really asked him if, uh, but, but he, you know, like I said, this is what I did and, and they supported me a hundred percent. Again, that was a sneak preview of my podcast episode, Real Food, Real People podcast. The episode comes out on Monday. That conversation was with Case Vandermeulen, who founded Cooley Flats Dairy out in eastern Washington, in Mesa, Washington. Like I was saying, I just got back last night from Easter. It was hot back there. I mean, you think it was hot here. I came through Wenatchee and it was 108 degrees. Thankfully, it wasn't quite that hot in Mesa, but it was over 100 uh, when we were doing that interview. And thankfully, we were inside and it was at least a little bit cooler. Uh, more of that conversation coming up as we continue. Sure would appreciate it. If you like conversations like we were just hearing a part of there, the sneak preview, please subscribe uh, to the Real Food, Real People podcast and uh, follow us uh, on social media as well. Uh, RFRP underscore podcast on Instagram as well as Facebook and Twitter. More of that conversation coming up as we continue on the farming show on here on KGMI. Big dairy farms. It was interesting to hear in that first segment about how they really work and, and, and why. Really not as scary as some people have tried to make them sound. We, we've got more of a sneak preview as we continue here on The Farming Show this morning. A sneak preview of my podcast. I'm Dylan Honkoop, by the way. And this is KGMI News Talk 790. Um, my podcast, uh, weekly podcast, uh, new episode drops every Monday morning, as long as I can get everything done in time, but so far, mostly so good. Uh, <laughs> but it's called Real Food, Real People, the idea to, to help people be able to hear the real life stories of the people behind their food, farmers, 
and other people in the food system to start rebuilding some of that trust. You know, that trust has been so eroded, usually by people with vested interests in different things, you know, um, whether it's marketing something else or whether it's lawsuits or different things that, that people have been telling us to be scared of our food. We can't trust farmers. We can't trust our food system. Um, is that really true? Well, the podcast is documenting my journey going around the state to get to know these real farmers, to know their personal story, to start getting a feel like, can we trust these people? And to start asking them some of the hard questions. Why, in this case with Case Vandermeulen, as you heard in the, in the first half um, of this sneak preview, it's not the whole interview, by the way, that I'm sharing this morning, just, uh, just these two pieces of it. Um, you heard me ask, you know, is this whole big farm thing a, a good idea? Why do you have to, you know, have such a large dairy farm? Uh, obviously, he's over in eastern Washington. Things are a lot bigger over there. It's interesting. We've seen dairy farming move from this side of the state to that side of the state. And some of his response in the, in the first half explained why some of those things are, are happening. Um, and in this piece, the second piece that I'm going to share with you of the episode that is officially out in its entirety on Monday, um, he gets more into his family history in Holland. Here, Case Vandermeulen, um, if you're just joining, he's a guy that grew up in the Netherlands on a small dairy farm uh, and came to the United States. And he explains um, why he wasn't able to continue doing the family farm thing in Holland and and how it's so much different here, yet he retains some of those values. So here's a guy that's he's seen dairy farming in Europe and here in the U.S. Um, he's seen very small farms over there. He's done small farm, you know, run a small dairy himself and grew from, you know, 150 head to huge what he is now. Um, but a lot of what he said, in my mind, demystifies this whole big dairy farm thing and makes it seem a lot less scary when you realize it's a real person that's putting this together and he's running a team and he, he has great people on his team there and he really cares about what's happening. And you know, it's not this scary thing that, that some, again, leveraging this issue for their own uh, gain have have led a lot of folks to believe. So more now from Case Vandermeulen, my conversation with him uh, just yesterday at Cooley Flats Dairy, the dairy he built starting with very little running it all by his lonesome to now a very, very big dairy, big team in uh, Mesa, Washington. What was that like coming to America when you first decided you're, you're moving there? Exciting. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, when I was in my, my early 20s, so, you know, you have nothing to lose, right? So when you have nothing to lose, it's it's easy uh, or somewhat easy. Now, once you start building some stuff up and you have something to lose, then then things change a little bit. So, uh, you know, I missed home, yeah, but I always kept myself plenty busy, so I didn't have too much time to think about or being homesick. Have you been back to the Netherlands oh, much? Well, a few times, yeah. I don't go that often, but yeah, mm -hmm. you know, probably about 10 times or so, 10 to 10 to 15 times. Talk about your family now. What do you all, what family do you have, and are they involved in, in the farm at all? Well, like I said, I, my, my oldest brother, he took over the family farm, and then I got uh, two other brothers, uh, one other brother and two sisters, but none of them are in farming. Mm -hmm because there was only room for one on the farm. So uh, 
you know, one of them is in the in the her and her husband are in the restaurant business. Then another, my other older sister, she's uh, she well, she's retired now, but she was a uh, she did a lot of secretarial work, and and then my other brother, uh, he actually had a little accident, and he's mm. somewhat handicapped. Mm. It's kind of yeah, it was kind of a bad deal, not kind of really bad deal. Yeah. Must have been. Yep. Very hard. Yep. What about you? Have kids or? I have family? one son. He's just turned sixteen last week. So, uh, yeah, what a riot that is. <laughs> Does he work on the farm at all? Yep. As, 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 you know, yeah. Ever, ever since uh, the school got closed, he's been yeah. busy busy here at the dairy, trying to keep him busy and trying to keep him out of out of trouble. Does he like it? I know I, he, I I had to work on the farm growing up on a farm, so there were some times I liked it, and other times I was oh, like, "Nah, I don't want to do this farming yeah, thing." Yeah, he <laughs> he does he does he, you know obviously there's lots of jobs he doesn't like, but I he says he really wants to become a dairy farmer. So, oh, he does. Yeah, so hopefully, but not going to force him, of course. Yeah, you know, it's all if he wants to or not. So yeah, it's but it's it's kind of it's it's uh, it's very very satisfying to. To see him here, helping me on the farm. What do you think? Could he do it? Could he take it over? Time will tell. <laughs> Time will tell. Now, I it's interesting to me talking with you, a first generation to America Dutch person. Yes. My family is, I think, four or more generations removed. But there's all these stereotypes with the Dutch and the Dutch farmers. You would have a better perspective on that than me. How much of that is like an American stereotype versus reality? I even I'm thinking about you and your son. Like I'm used to the Dutch dads being pretty hard on their sons and pushing them. You know, you got to work hard and do a good job. And well, that's no slacking off. Uh, <laughs> that's probably our biggest challenge. <laughs> Uh, some days he doesn't like me very much. Yeah, I've been there, <laughs> but uh, uh, on the sun side, yeah. Of it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, as far as stereotypes, I don't know. I mean, you know, on the on the west coast, on the on the western United States, uh, there's a lot of dairy farmers that have have are from Dutch heritage, right? Mm-hmm. So um, I don't know really what that means, but apparently. The Dutch are pretty good at, at, at the dairy business, I think, because you know there was a lot of you know there's still a lot of a lot of dairies in Holland. So, yeah. You know. Well, and the the history of dairy farming in the Netherlands goes back. Yeah, I know, don't know how hundreds many, and hundreds, hundreds of years. Yes, correct. correct. So that's kind of where it comes from, right? And then that, it just stays with a culture that they, that that that's right. And you know the a little bit of an in, interesting tidbit uh, is that you know Holland is a Pretty small country. Yeah. The state of Washington is five times as big as mm-hmm. little old Holland in, in yeah. uh, you know, as the Netherlands. So it's it's kind of it's kind of interesting that uh, there's a lot of Dutch all over the world. Yeah. So with Dutch dairy farmers coming out to the west, you know, I've always heard well the, the Dutch came to the U.S. and then they found the you know, west coast of Washington and Oregon and found that it was very, you know, climate was similar to back home. 
And and that was certainly the story for my family way back and, and over time as they ended up there. But you're here in eastern Washington. It's hot and it's dry, very different climate than back home in the Netherlands for you, right? Correct. Does that Correct. make it more challenging to do this whole thing? Well, you know, the I, I think you're I think you're right you know, you're you're spot on that, you know, a lot of the Dutch they liked western Washington, western Oregon because of the climate and can and cows flourished there because not too big of a de- temperature swings mm-hmm. and you know good feed and pasture and now here in eastern washington you know here uh, we're here in the in the columbia basin um you know it does get hot and it does get cold and we do get snow but the good thing about it is we only get seven inches of precipitation here and water is not good for cows not necessarily the cows themselves don't like it but uh you know uh other organisms really like water you know bacteria and viruses and all that kind of stuff they need water and when it's dry you just have a lot less problems plus you don't have to deal with all the all the rainwater and catch it and uh right and uh, store it because you know we as dairy farmers or livestock in general, so to speak, we can't. We got to contain all our water. Every mm-hmm. water that comes in contact with manure, we have to contain, store, and then apply it at agronomical rates to our crops. So we don't do any any uh, ground any groundwater contamination and or uh, any runoff going into any kind of a any kind of a drain ditch or water body or whatever it is very important so what do you do to prevent things like that how can you make sure that doesn't happen i have a facility that is uh, built for it and you know water always runs at the lowest spot right <laughs> so we just need to make sure that the lowest spot goes drains into kind of some kind of a storage storage structure and catch it and catch it yeah and actually in eastern washington here that's a good thing because we do need the water for irrigation, so that's not a bad thing. Yeah, and the stuff that's in it that could pollute, say, a stream, if applied correctly to a field, can actually be a good thing, a positive, because that's the fertilizer. It's the organic yep. matter. Yeah, right? right here on our farm, we don't hardly buy any commercial fertilizer. We mm. only use the fertilizer from the manure from the cows, and so therefore it's kind of a not kind of it is the perfect cycle right because yeah. we're not we're not buying any commercial fertilizer and we're not over applying any of the nutrients on the ground and therefore you know kind of self-sustaining how big is sustainability to your operation and your philosophy very big you know we live here we work here we drink the same water uh we live in the same environment um if we would pollute, we only pollute our future. So therefore, there is no benefit in polluting, so to speak, if you want to call it that way. So we need to make sure that we continue doing the right thing, not only for ourselves, but also for future generations and uh, all our neighbors and, and friends and family. So, you know, it's a must. What's it been like during this pandemic to keep the farm going? I know a lot of farms have had challenges how to take care of people, how to, but keep, you know, you, you can't, 
it wouldn't be right to just let the cows you, know, you can't stop milking them we yep. right to them and it would probably cause your operation to crumble if you did that for too long well it's yes that that's inter that's the interesting thing about dairy farmer or having livestock you know it's not like a trucking company and said well there's no money and i'm <laughs> just going to park the trucks and send everybody home and we're done with it you know we can't just say oh we're going to quit milking the cows we're going to quit feeding the cows that's inhumane can't do it so uh rain shine good economics bad economics we have to keep going uh so as far as the the whole pandemic uh, we haven't really had too many hiccups. Uh, you know, we're we're providing all the safety gear, uh, having doing extra cleaning and disinfecting and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but uh, and trying to to do our best on social distancing. But uh, yeah, we haven't had too many challenges. So uh, quite honestly, the li- you know from a from my my work life hasn't changed all that much mm. pre. Uh, COVID versus now. Uh, what about your team? How are the workers feeling about all of it? Are they worried? I don't know if they're really worried, but they are, you know, uh, they're aware. Mm-hmm. They're very aware and, and, and trying to do, uh, like I said, we're, we're, we're uh, social distancing and using face masks and providing them and uh, temperature checks and all this stuff. And, you know, uh, so far we've had pretty good luck. So what does the future hold for this operation then? You keep growing? You Do you keep doing what you're doing? How long do you see yourself staying in this business? Don't know for sure. It depends a lot on whether my son wants to go take over the farm or not. And we have a few more years yet to do that. I love what I do, so I no need to quit at this point in time. Um, as far as growing, we're probably not grow too much more on uh, on this facility because you know all the systems are kind of maximized and then you know like like I was saying earlier, you know we're we're kind of self sustaining. If we milked a lot more cows, then we would get more nutrients, and then we would have to uh, spread our wings more, so to speak, from uh, you know. Uh, put those nutrients on more ground and yeah that would be so at this point in time we'll probably just kind of stay where we're at plus of course not of course but you know to where we uh in our our co-op dairy gold we can't you know we have a a, a base system or a quota system like i was talking about in europe mm-hmm. uh so you can't just start shipping more milk because the the, the co-op can't really handle much more milk right now so all of your milk goes to that cooperative. That's correct. We're a member. I'm a member owner of the of the of the of Dairy Gold, and uh, yeah, that our milk, our milk is uh, is mostly made goes our our milk uh, gets be used for either uh, uh, cheese or mm. butter powder, sunny side plant. Mm. What's it like being a part of a cooperative? How how does that work? Does that work pretty well as compared to maybe a different model or you know a uh, company yeah, buying your milk? Um, I can't really compare because this is only what the only thing what I've done. Uh, but the, obviously the idea is from a co-op is that you know if you have a, have a, have a private 
processor, you know, the processor would uh, want to try to buy our milk as cheap as possible because, uh, but it's been pretty good. So, yeah. you know, the whole idea about a, by, about a cooperative is that the uh, quote-unquote profits that the uh, private handler would make goes into pockets of the dairy farmers. So that's kind of the background of it or the purpose. Well, there you have it. That's Case Vandermulen, founder of Cooley Flats Dairy in Mesa, Washington. He's got a really cool story. If you like that, you can hear the full episode when it's released on Monday. We'll also have video of the whole interview on YouTube. It's all part of the Real Food, Real People podcast. I'm now hosting weekly uh, podcast. I would really appreciate it if you'd subscribe. Uh, We've got to continue to grow this podcast if I'm going to continue to be able to share these kinds of stories. So if you like stuff like that please subscribe Uh, please share it on your social media platforms we're on facebook and twitter and instagram it would really help us continue telling these stories and shedding new light on the food system and reconnecting those of us who eat with those who grow our food our farmers and those who prepare it I'm Dylan Honkoop. This is The Farming Show on KGMI News Talk 790. I appreciate your support here and and sure would appreciate it with the podcast uh, as well.